Hello and welcome to On The Tiles, the Herald's Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Coughlin, the Senior Political Reporter at the Herald. Uh, in light of the situation in Ukraine in Ukraine this week, uh, we're going to do something a bit different. Um, the main sort of um, policy issue on Ukraine for New Zealand has actually been whether or not we have the ability to sanction Russia effectively for its invasion, which has been widely condemned uh, as illegal, uh, and including by all uh, parties in the New Zealand Parliament. Um, we've got two people who represent uh, opposing views on that issue on the podcast today. Um, we've got uh, Jerry Brownlee, who's National's Foreign Affairs spokesman. Uh, he is uh, he was a former Minister of Foreign Affairs, and he's the sponsor of a member's bill, um, well, with his member's bill, uh, in the ballot, which got voted down last year, which would have given New Zealand an autonomous sanctions regime. He's on the podcast with us. We've also got the Green Party's Foreign Affairs spokeswoman, Goris Garman, who takes an opposing view. She's not so keen on the autonomous sanctions regime and, and, uh, and, and for reasons which will become clear. Um, so both, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having um, so, Jerry, I thought, why, why don't we start with you? It was your, it was your members' bill. It was actually your your government uh, bill on uh, the order paper at the start of this parliament. Why does New Zealand need an autonomous, autonomous sanctions regime, and what would it help us to do? Well, if you look at the situation in the Ukraine, uh, clearly we're all appalled by what's happening. Uh, we condemn totally uh, the, the actions of Mr. Putin. But then, what do we do? We're a small country. We don't have a military that can. Uh, you know, be deployed to go and assist. Uh, but what we do have is our involvement with the free world. And a huge statement can be by putting sanctions on uh, various individuals inside the, the regime in, in Russia, uh, on the regime itself, uh, and uh, on any entities inside that regime. So what you're seeing foreign country, other countries doing at the moment, the United States, Britain, uh, the EU, uh, and Australia, is putting those sanctions in place that are having a very direct effect on the economy of Russia. And in the end, uh, if you're going to beat the propaganda that Mr Putin puts across to the Russian people, there has to be some way of demonstrating that he's wrong. Uh, and it, it's sort of a little bit cold and it's outside of recognition of the, the death and destruction that's going on. But the uh, Russian ruble has fallen through the floor. Uh, they're having a run on their currency. Uh, they know that the... They, ability for them to earn revenue because of the restriction now on their sales of product outside of uh, Russia is uh, is going to be quite significant. Uh, now, we can't, add, can't participate in those uh, uh, sanctions because we don't have a law at the moment that allows us to do so. We're reliant on a Section 41 notice coming out of the United Nations. And as we've seen this week, uh, when the Security Council uh, debated the situation in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, Russia stuck their hand up and vetoed it going any further. Uh, and so the United Nations won't be recommending action. They'll have a big debate, a big thrash around in the next couple of days, and they'll probably pass a motion by majority condemning Russia. But that doesn't take any direct uh, uh, action against them. So, Goris, what do, you, I mean, what do you make of that? Obviously, you've been part of a, a party that has condemned the invasion. You've got a strong, your party has a strong anti-war uh, and, and, and pro-peace uh, stance. Why shouldn't New Zealand have the ability to apply sanctions to governments that, that breach that international war, that are clearly aggressive and which, which perpetuate illegal, um, illegal invasions? Yeah, I, I do want to acknowledge, as, as Jerry has done, that we're all looking at the situation in Ukraine and we're all 
devastated and terrified on behalf of the victims there. Um, and absolutely, I think probably every part, well, definitely, I'll say, every party in New Zealand's parliament will be condemning Putin's acts of aggression. But I'm coming at this from the perspective of uh, having been an international lawyer and having a solid belief in, in the international rules-based order. And in the law, we have this saying um, that bad cases make bad law. So cases where all of our heartstrings are tugged at and, you, you know, we all just want to, from a very visceral, emotional level, act, often leave really terrible precedents for the rule of law because we're willing to bend it and undermine it. Um, and so, so we have to hold both of those, um, those issues together. Uh, now, we can look at a very recent crisis in Afghanistan, for example, where now the main issue for ordinary Afghans is starvation. And that's because that country's funds are considered to be Taliban funds and US, the US has unilaterally frozen them. Now, whether or not that was necessary, whether or not it's hurting the Taliban is arguable, but the fact is that the majority of Afghans are now suffering and there is a precedent for, for now a big superpower like the US deciding that a certain government needs to have its funds frozen as part of applying humanitarian law and doing that unilaterally without an international body ruling or finding that that's necessary. So things like that alarm me. And I've lived under unilaterally applied US sanctions um, as a child in Iran. I remember the scarcity sitting in. And so, the, so, so there is arguments both ways. But what I would say is the thing that we oppose in the Green Party is the idea of unilateral sanctions being normalised. So we look at Ukraine and that's a really clear case. But what else can we do within the rules-based multilateral system to freeze those assets? Well, actually, anyone that breaches international humanitarian laws and war crimes, crimes against humanity, those types of clear international crimes can have their funds frozen in, in law. You don't need sanctions. And that's what the EU is applying. They're not, you know, so, and, and in fact, the EU is a good example. That's a multilateral group of states. The checks and balances are there because you have to go through all of the processes of that institution. What I worry about is that we are normalizing a sort of the unilateral way of acting, which the US and Russia are actually really good examples um, of where they have both been when they were opposing superpowers. Mm. And I, I say that arguably because Russia's maybe not as much of a superpower um, and maybe right. that Putin's trying to do. That, that's what they did. Do we yeah. as a small, small nation want to contribute to that becoming the norm? Why don't we? Why don't we apply to the Security Council to take Russia's veto away on this? Those, mm. those rules exist at the Security Council, you can take the veto away and then have the sanctions meeting. And New Zealand hasn't done that. So, so it sounds two of two issues there. That's a misunderstanding of how the UN works and what the Charter is. Uh, they, they, um, uh, the five permanent meeting members have to agree to anything like that. Russia's not going to agree. No, no, there are certain and circumstances in which Russia no, can no, get look, excluded. Sorry, just let, me, let me respond to your opening statement, which was that you have to have some commitment to a rules-based order. Russia, in its actions in the Ukraine, have totally tipped that on its head. Totally no, but that, I mean, reacting to that yeah. by further eroding the rules-based order yeah. is so maybe not a precedent. Or a lecture. Um, so 
what I would say simply is uh, the, 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 the sanctions bill that I put into Parliament was triggered by a failure to act under Section 41 of the, the UN Constitution. So um, you'd say that uh, in that case, there was a known problem that was being dealt with. And that's what's happened here. It's not the idea that you unilaterally just go out there and sanction whoever you like. In the case of the, the US holding back funds from the Taliban, $600 million, it's uh, a large amount of money. But the Taliban are an entity. They're not a government. Uh, they, they have, uh, if, if you're going to say that you recognise them because they've conquered a country, then I think there's a bit of a problem in that too. No, no, no. <laughs> the Taliban are not a legitimate actor. But what I'm saying is, who are we trying to hurt? And if the US... Well, certainly not, certainly that, not the, uh, the Afghan people, but the consequence of these things... that's what's happened. Hang yeah. on, just, so that is it's the looks like there are two different look issues many, here. Look how many Ukraines are going to lose their life uh, or have their life totally disrupted. Up to 18 million people expected to be and uh, needing humanitarian assistance because of this action by Russia. If I can just, if I can just come in here, it looks like there are two there are two issues that have been raised. The, the, the first is that if we if we go down the road of autonomous sanctions, we do risk irrevocably and, and further damaging an already damaged United Nations process and already weakened United Nations process. And that is that is an issue that we need to address. The other issue is that um, is that the United Nations process is manifestly not working. And therefore, it would seem that uh, hewing too closely to the United Nations process would mean never applying sanctions against the country ever again under the current kind of um, formulation of the of the uh, of the way things work on the Security Council. And actually, the third issue, if I can add another one, is is the issue over over how sanctions are applied. Because actually, you know, we, we do see in, in certainly in Afghanistan and other countries that have um, that have been had sanctions applied to them that at a certain point. Um, they, they they trickle down pretty quickly um, to to people on the ground who have um, who who are victims of, of the crisis rather than perpetrators of it. So can I just can I just get um, uh, you both to, to respond to those points? So get to the Jerry, if you want to start with your um, with 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 this issue of weakening the United Nations process. I mean, we've been recently a member of the Security Council. In fact, I think we were a member of the Security Council when you were Foreign Minister. Um, would we would we weaken that? Irrevocably, are you worried about weakening that irrevocably? Because you know, once once the United Nations is gone, there's really not a lot, you know, waiting in the wings to replace it. Yeah, what you what you just asked um, a question on top of that, and Jerry can answer them both. Because I'm really interested in your answer to this, Jerry, as having been in in a ministerial role while we were on the Security Council. So, will we weaken it? Like Thomas's question is a great one, but also, what could we do to strengthen it? Like, what could we do? to take away this impediment? Because um, I'm not sure we've worked enough for that and, and maybe there are there are ways that we can strengthen it. If, you, if you've ever thought about that, I'd be really keen to know. Well, there's two things here. So the, the uh, situation you outlined at the start, Thomas, uh, where you're saying, well, uh, the United Nations is irrevocably damaged but potentially, uh, and that if we stick with it, then we'll never ever sanction another country again because the Security Council is not all that effective in that regard. It's almost a catch-22 situation that you present. I don't see it like that. Um, and I certainly don't see that uh, countries having uh, autonomous sanctions capacity is a weakening of the United Nations. The United Nations is, is roundly criticised by a lot of people, uh, but in the end, it is a collective body of thought, uh, at least, and it is a place where there is uh, you know, potential for sound discussion and problem resolution. I don't know that that many problems have been resolved through the UN 
in the, in the last uh, you know a couple of decades. So some kind of reform is definitely necessary. The chances of getting that in the current environment are pretty slim. And so uh, I come back to the, the problem we've got, which is the aggressor action by Russia right now has destroyed the order that was sort of accepted uh, in the world for a very long time, post-World uh, War II. Um, and in that, in that event, uh, you do have to take very stringent action. Um, we certainly don't want to see, you know, bombs being dropped on Moscow uh, by, by all the other countries, NATO, for example. Uh, that kind of escalation would be just catastrophic. And it's, it's frightening that Mr Putin has said, well, don't forget I've got the nuclear arsenal. So where I think the sanctions work is that um, it will make it tough on a lot of people in Russia, but they do need to understand that there are atrocities being committed in the name of their country. And it's, if you have an oppressor regime, sometimes yeah. there has to be something drastic that gets rid of the oppressor. So just to, just to, I'm going to move on to Belarus in a second, but just to just get absolute clarity on that, you think yeah. that, the, that this, the fact that this crisis is is occurring currently is that is that is evidence that the United Nations process is not working. It is it is possibly never going to work again, and we probably need to get autonomous sanctions legislation over the line and recognition of the fact that we're not living in you know 1947 anymore. Oh, interestingly, I think it's a, a demonstration of both its positive side and its negative side. So I think it was positive for the whole world to see the Russian ambassador stick his hand up and say, no, we're not going with this. Everyone suddenly understands what the veto means. Um, I think the uh, subsequent uh, discussions in front of the General Assembly where there's quite a petty exchange from the Russian toward the Ukrainian uh, does show that sometimes these things can be quite personal as well. And so it's a good forum to get all that understanding out. So just to, just to pivot over to you, Goris, I mean, we, we do have a very flawed Security Council process. We do have a very flawed United Nations. Does a position against autonomous sanctions effectively mean that no one's ever going to get, um, no one's ever going to get penalised for acting, acting poorly as Russia's done? Is it, is, it, is it a fairly convenient argument to make uh, to, 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 to obviously everyone backs the United Nations and everyone wishes the United Nations would work? But it, would, it, it does seem so flawed that it might never actually um, allow us to apply sanctions when they probably should be applied. Well, horrifyingly, it's actually, as I said before, it's the US and Russia who've raised this issue to support their unilateral actions most in, in the recent past and throughout their <laughs> rivalry. So it's, it's the abusers of power who constantly say this to justify the United Nations said this when it invaded Afghanistan and Iraq illegally. Um, and, and it is really worthwhile um, holding the fact that Saddam Hussein was the subject of very, very strict sanctions for decades, and it didn't lead um, to him uh, not uh, gassing the Kurds, uh, not being an aggressor, not breaching human rights at a, a very um, widespread level in his country. And none of that was solved because he was able to insulate himself from the sanctions and it was Iraqis who mm. missed out on cancer drugs. And, you know, and, and to say, oh, well, Russians need to understand um, that maybe right in the middle of a pandemic, they're going to also fall into starvation and 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 yeah. very likely not have access to medical care. Because yes, well, I think a Canadian plane full of COVID tests has been grounded in Toronto. Yeah, that's so exactly right. So who are we trying? So th- these are two separate questions, of course. Uh, whether sanctions work 
um, is one thing. Um, and I think we have to be very careful about the way that we apply them so that it isn't broad trade sanctions, for example, that affect medical supplies and food, um, but are actually targeted at the oligarchs and at the people that we intend to um, hurt, frankly, financially. Um, but to my mind, um, the law exists to do that because if someone is committing international crimes, you can freeze their assets. Anyway, right. they, and, and it does look like the no, 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 that's that, that has to be uh, something that's kind of proven. And look, um, well, it is. It, it you can freeze well, anyone's no, no, as a criminal proven just because you, know you say it. New, no, the, New Zealand, um, do you not think that New Zealand law can freeze the assets of a criminal? Uh, no, that's no, we can, Jerry. No, that's, we can. No, no, hang on a minute, Golris. You're very good at talking over the top. I get your point. Well, you All I'd say to you is this. That if it's uh, us joining into uh, uh, sanctions that stop the uh, uh, the movement of money around the world, stop New Zealand becoming potentially a safe haven, uh, then I think that's something we should do. I don't think there's a problem no, no, with that. That's that's if we want to say, look, medical supplies or good. Uh, system. Why can't we take this to a regional body? We are an Asia-Pacific nation. We could lead on our region. Because there are times. multilateral system where there's checks and balances. What I have a distinct problem with uh, is the idea that states begin to act unilaterally. But to come back to the UN question, because I think it is... Yes. Just, just, no, no, I've got to pick up on that. No, no, no. Can we just... No, one no, yeah, no. I do, I do want to address your question about the UN and, and the system that's maybe broken. The UN is far bigger than the Security Council. So when we say it hasn't solved many problems over the past decades, that's not true because the entire human rights-based system comes from the United Nations. We, we have forums for consensus building at the United Nations, and as flawed as it is, it is the only institution in the world that's, that has the mandate of upholding international peace and security. So this is where we take these things. So reforming the Security Council, which is one small part of it, which deals with war and, and, and in terms of the sanctions. Yeah, small but powerful. It's the main part of it. Well, no, it's not, because in terms yes, of... Yes, it is. The main reason why people are there. Not, well, the International Criminal Court, for example, doesn't have anything much to do with the Security Council. So when you come to charging Putin, you don't have to go through the Security Council. You know, so the Security Council has to be reformed. Um, the reason for that is that the United Nations must succeed. We, we know that committing to the multilateral system is the way to keep us safe, especially as a small quick sort of questions to, to finish off with Prime Minister alluded yesterday into the house to a Russian sanctions bill a sort of bespoke bill which which would look at stuff like asset freezing um she suggested and that was in response to a question from export from Veldon um obviously uh you've, you've stated your respective positions and neither of them would fit perfectly into a bespoke sort of piece of legislation. What's your what's your sort of, I mean, obviously no one commits to supporting stuff before they've seen it, but would you be uh, amenable to the idea of, of a bespoke sanction, sanctions bill, which is what the government seems to be veering towards right now? Um, I'll start with you guys. Uh, we would work with the government on anything that it, it you know, it, it proposes to make sure that it's as good as it can get. But of course, we wouldn't commit before seeing Before seeing it. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, but, but on principle, you're not opposed to the idea of of, of a of a, a, a sanctions bill yeah, for this. It's important that every party, I think, right. engages with this if it's going to happen. So we would certainly yeah. engage with it actively. And 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 Jerry, what what do you think on a bespoke sanctions bill? Would it would it? Uh, I suppose it would it would torpedo 
you being able to use this particular event to get an autonomous sanctions bill through, but but it would achieve what you would like to achieve, which is sanctions on Russia. Well, the, go the government said no to an autonomous sanctions bill. Remember, all that is is a tool in the toolkit to be able to put together oh. bespoke bespoke sanctions on any particular country. Oh. Uh, so we'll obviously look at that very uh, constructively. It is interesting, though, that you've had uh, one minister yesterday saying that the uh, autonomous sanctions bill went too far. It was too tough, too hard. And then you've got another minister this morning on a different broadcaster saying, actually, it's not tough enough and we're going to bring in something that is far more uh, uh, broad-reaching. So let's, let's see what they come up with. Jerry, do you worry that an autonomous sanctions regime outside of a clear situation like Ukraine could just be a, just a political football, that any country can just start to kind of punish its political rivals, for example, I don't, rather I don't, than to be principle-based? No, I don't think that's how it works, and uh, it's, it's unlikely to work. Remember that we are, although we are unaligned and we are free and independent in foreign policy, et cetera, we do have a, a, a general commitment uh, to the, the democratic sort of principles of the West. And so we, even in this situation... Oh, but other countries... Hang on, we would not be acting unilaterally. It's with the agreement of, uh, of our partner nations. Right. And I, I just, we're, we're running out of time, so just want to have time for some quick closing statements. My, my, my final sort of question is, um, is New Zealand's current spending on, on, on the military, on defence, is 1.5% um, of GDP, which is roughly just a wee bit more than Germany uh, in percentage terms and, and below what NATO is telling its members. And obviously we are not very much not a member of NATO, but what, the, below the 2% that NATO recommends its members spend on, on military expenditure. So just quickly, do you think that is sort of in, the, in this conflict-ridden world, whether that is sufficient, whether we should up that? And finally, um, in the aftermath of this crisis, where do you think New Zealand sits in the world? Are we, are we sort of being drawn into that um, Five Eyes kind of Western alliance um, which we've had a sort of tortured relationship with over the last sort of 50 years, um, or are we still able to maintain that independent sort of foreign policy where we sort of sit between awkwardly between you know, Russia, China, the West, blah blah blah? Um, yes, I'll, I'll I'll start with you, Jerry, because we we started with you, and I'll I'll give the um, the final word to Goris. Well, I'll go back through your points uh, backwards. So, firstly, I don't think that we are in a tortured position. Uh, I think we are able to articulate a position uh, relatively clearly. Uh, I do think that we are, whether we like it or not, uh, well, while not aligned, actually very much in the same uh, camp as uh, those countries that you've spoken of, Australia, Canada, United States and uh, Great Britain. And that will continue for uh, a long, long time, uh, even though we don't always agree with every statement that comes out of that Five Eyes group. Um, when it comes to military spending, look, Germany's just raised theirs actually to yes. uh, 2% as a result of uh, this um, uh, conflict. 2% uh, of the German GDP is a massive amount more uh, than uh, we could ever think about spending in New Zealand. So whether we raise it over time, I think you've got to look at capability, uh, look at what we're good at, and you have to fund the equipment that we need to be interoperational with others. <laughs> So we can contribute when we need to. Uh, that's been the, the, the track that uh, New Zealand's been on for uh, quite a few years. Um, and and I think sounds, that. sounds like you, you're, you're, you're amenable to the idea of, of increasing it slowly. Per periodically, it will increase. If you're making a big purchase and you, mm. uh, under our uh, finance system, you have to book it in the year that you order it. And clearly, mm. you're going to have uh, some bumps and uh, yeah. uh, troughs. And I think that's the way we should go. 
uh, focus not on the amount of spend, but on the capability that we have. And we've still got a, a wee way to go uh, to, to be uh, up to speed. Sherry, mm. thank you very much for, for that. Um, Doris, final word to you. Um, yeah, well, most of what our Defence Force actually does is uh, environmental monitoring disaster relief in the Pacific. And so we have to look at that in terms of our capabilities is, is certainly been my um, perspective for quite some time. I think we keep investing in war-making capability and we never, ever use it and we never should use it. Um, and actually, what do New Zealanders need? Well, one of the frigates in my time in Parliament, went, the upgrade went over budget by $150 million in that one year. And that was the entire disability support budget for the government. So we actually, when we talk about defence spending, we need to keep in mind what we're not spending on because we're putting that into defence. Mm -hmm. So absolutely not in terms of building that up. In terms of Ukraine as well, if we hold at the centre of our response the ordinary Ukrainians, and we know now that almost half a million may have fled at this point, we don't know how many, and they are also facing winter and a COVID crisis, it's in humanitarian aid that we need to invest. It's in the refugee quota. It's in supporting Ukrainians here to be joined by their families who desperately need it. We don't know how long this is going to last, and people certainly can return if they need to, but they're not safe now. Mm. So there's a lot more that we can do that we didn't do for Afghanistan, and that was shameful. The government did not open the refugee quota um, that's been frozen for two years for Afghans, especially women and most at-risk peoples. And now we have a chance to do what needs to be done for Ukraine. Um, so, so there's a lot right. we can do that's not military and it's not, mm. it's not in terms of the types of reactions that the, that the power brokers of the world do um, that, that actually weakens uh, humanitarian yeah. responses. And in terms of, of New Zealand's position in the world with regard to being drawn into the Five Eyes kind of orbit? We do best when we act as an independent principled voice on the world stage. And I think if we're going to continue to do things like trade with China, despite their human rights track record and uh, be silent on breaches by the United States because we're in the Five Eyes, we're really compromised. So we do need to maintain our independence by kind of leaving those old world alliances and and then freeing ourselves up for saying what needs to be said and forming regional um, uh, forums and and leading in our region which is Asia Pacific on on human rights that's a total contradiction with all due respect cool. give up give up on our trading partner Thanks. Give up on the rest of the world as well. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we go on all afternoon or, or morning, um, and I, I wish we could. Um, I'm guessing actually probably you both would rather we not. Um, so thank you very much for joining us, uh, and thanks for listening. Um, you can hear more politics stuff on the Herald. Um, log on. It'd be great to see you there. Um, that was on the tiles for another week. You can find us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, thanks, Colrose. Thanks, Jerry, for joining us, and, um, and have a great week. One of the scariest things you can hear as a parent is quiet. But if you do get a little quiet time, have a listen to The Parenting Hangover. It's not scary at all. If I bump into a couple and they have a boy and they have a girl, and I'm like, oh, boy, girl, snip. You've got a boy, you've got a girl, get the snip. You're you done. Got- you get to figure out what it's like raising a girl, you get to figure out what it's like raising a boy. Save yourself a ton of stress and money. You've got your perfect little family. The Parenting Hangover with Clint and Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.